0: Uh, we got to continue and uh, I'm glad a lot of us are. So Mark 10 verse 17 is where we will start, Mark chapter 10. And uh, this is a story. It's actually in three of the gospels. so one of the uh, you know one of the more popular ones and uh, I want to dig into it this morning. It says, "And when he was gone forth into the way, There. This is talking about Jesus. There came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do uh, that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God." Uh, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto them, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that sight. Sang, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure saying among themselves who then can be saved and Jesus looking upon them saith with men it is impossible but with God for with with God for with God all things are possible. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray uh, that during this last part of the service, Lord, you would open up our minds and our hearts to your word. Uh, Lord, that it would dwell richly in our heart, that it would, uh, Lord, if any are lost today, maybe listening in, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you before it's too late, Lord, uh, and that we could draw uh, wisdom and strength and apply this to our life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. So here we have uh, this man, it says, came running to Jesus, kneeled before him, uh, and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So uh, we find out from all three accounts, we find out he's young. He's a ruler and he's rich. So a lot of times in your Bible, it just calls him the rich young ruler. So you might hear me say that. Uh, but he comes to Jesus running. You think about this, a ruler uh, that has a lot of money that's in charge of things is running to Jesus. That, that wouldn't have been normal. He kneels down again, um, probably not as normal, but might happen. But he says, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? What's the thing that's missing in my life that I can have eternal life? Or today, you might get the question, how do I get to heaven? What does it take? And that's a very important question, amen? That, there's a lot of questions in this life, but this one's very uh, important. And Jesus says in verse 18, uh, it, you know, he, uh, he's been asked this question, but you know, Jesus answers with the question, why callest thou me good? Because he called him good master, And I've heard people use this verse to claim that Jesus Never thought he was a perfect person. I've heard them claim uh, that he wasn't God or anything like that. Uh, But really, Jesus is asking the question ahead of what he's going to deal with in a minute. He already knows uh, this man's heart. He already knows what's going to happen. So he's, he's starting off, why callest thou me good? And he doesn't stop there. He said, there is none good but one, that is God. So if you read that whole verse... We don't struggle with realizing that that Jesus is saying, hey, there's only one good, and it's me. But you don't get that unless you believe that Jesus is God. And see, that's some of the disconnect that they were having at that time. They believed that he was a good person, a good teacher, good master, right? But he's also God, and that's what Jesus is trying to, uh, to show him at first. And he's... He was good, you know, but Jesus is saying, hey, if you're talking about goodness, let's talk about God's standard, the true standard, the standard of scripture. And there's only one good, perfect person. That's Jesus. And he was God. Since Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, he's already letting him know the ruler know, even in this first part, that he is not good enough because the ruler is not God. Amen? We are not God, so we are not good, right, in the eyes of God. We, we're, Our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says, and over and over again. We're not good enough. And you realize the rich young ruler, he didn't want a Savior, right? He didn't want Jesus to be a Savior or Jesus. He wanted Jesus to show himself that he could be his own Savior, right? That, uh, tell me what I need to do that I can get to heaven. That's a lot of eyes right there instead of tell me what he's done so he can get me there. That's the difference. So how's Jesus further answer? Verse 19, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. uh, Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. So he gives them the second half of the Ten Commandments. And really those are how we treat each other how we deal with each other, how we treat one another. And and again, he's not not skipping the first half. He'll deal with those. Uh, But he's showing, uh, I think he could have listed more and more, but I think he would have gotten the same response even if he would have spent an hour telling the man what the Bible says he needed to do. How did the man respond to 20? He answered and said, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Didn't hesitate, didn't think about it didn't stop him, he said, oh, I've done that. I've kept those. I have not broken any of those commandments. Do you see the problem already? He says, I've kept them from my youth. Paul said, Philippians 3, 6, that before he was saved, remember he was a Jewish Pharisee. Paul was before he was saved, and he believed the same thing, Philippians 3, 6, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's what he described himself. He said, uh, before I came to Jesus Christ... I thought I was blameless. I thought I uh, perfectly kept everything that God told me to do. And the reason is they took, uh, well, they took the the Old Testament, the scriptures, and they uh, were able to then, you know, if if the law was hard, the commandment was hard, they would just change it so it would be okay, right? Honor your father and mother. Well, uh, if I have to take care of them when they're old, I'll just say, Corbin, it's a gift, right? Uh, It's a gift for them to have me as a son. That doesn't put food in their mouths or give them shelter, but I'm a gift, right? God's gift to this earth. That's the way they believed, and there and many more things like that. But what he's saying is he's saying right off the bat, and again, he's talking to Jesus. He's not hesitating. He's saying, I've done all these things. Have you met people like that, right? You talk about sin. We talk and you try to witness to them, and they'll say, well, I'm not a sinner, I, I've not broken anything. I've not done any, anything against God. He created their own standard, and it's easy to fulfill your own standard. But what about Jesus' standard? Uh, he said, Matthew, 7, or Matthew 5, 27, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Jesus, See, the, the Jews at that time, they made it easier. Jesus is making it harder. And, and this is just one example, but he's saying, hey, I don't care. Not only should you not murder, but in your heart you shouldn't be murdering somebody, right? You shouldn't want someone to die. Uh, your heart shouldn't be filled with that because he's saying you've already broken the commandment, making it, uh, making it impossible to keep all of these things. Galatians 3.11 but that no man is justified by the law and the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. You and I cannot keep the whole law. We can't live it perfectly our entire lives because that's what it would take, right? The Bible standard from the beginning of your life all the way to your end of your life, perfectly following everything. That means perfect speaking. And perfect holding the tongue, perfect actions, perfect serving, uh, perfect uh, withdrawing, uh, perfect mind. It's not going to happen. That's why the Bible can easily say all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's easy. It's not even a hard statement to say. We can't keep the whole law. So what they do is they change the standard, right? Instead of going with what the Bible says, I'll, uh, I'm a pretty good person, right? When they say that, they're not saying I'm a righteous, holy person. I, I'm just keeping the part that I want to keep. But that's impossible. Verse 21, Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and take up the cross and follow me. Right? Before he answers this self-righteous young ruler, Jesus looks at him, he beheld him, and he loved him. So Jesus is not answering out of hatred, out of meanness. He's answering this man out of love because he's already talked to him this far, and the man's not getting it. He thinks he's self-righteous, right? I'm just coming to Jesus for that last piece of the puzzle to tell me how to get to heaven and I'm going to do the last piece myself. So he doesn't say sell all that you have and give it to me. Give it to Judas holding the bag. Give it to my ministry and you can buy your way into eternal life. He didn't say that. He isn't telling us because look, he only says it. And he isn't telling all of us to do the same thing. Some people will say, well, then this means we can't have any possessions of our own on this life. He says one thing that thou lackest. That thou means he's only talking to this man right here. He's saying, hey, you think you're blameless. You think you're perfect. You think you've followed these from your youth. You think you've completely fulfilled the law. And he's saying, hey, you've actually broken the first commandment. Thou shall have no other gods before me. Your money has become your God. Your possessions are ruling your life. You may be a ruler, but those things are ruling over you. You're bowing down to them, and they're hindering your relationship with God. And in all reality, there's no way it would have allowed him to follow Jesus, right? It's no different today than someone that's high up in a career uh, and God is calling them to do something and they're saying, no, I will not give up my career. I will not give up these, uh, my comfortable house. I will not give up these things. I want to do what I want to do. And that's what we're seeing right here. And that money had become his God, it had become his idol, he couldn't live without it. Remember another man met Jesus, wanted to follow him, but he wasn't willing to leave the family business? It's the same sort of thing. And you know what I believe, if Jesus would have said, go sell a piece of it, right, and give to the poor, I think he would have done it. He might have considered it in fact he might have been prepared in his heart to say I'm ready to sell and give away some of it but when Jesus said sell all of it you know what he's saying I want you to come to me with nothing right come to me with nothing. Don't come to me with your riches. Don't come to me with your power. Don't come to me with your self-righteousness. Don't come to me with your goodness. You just come to me, what? As a sinner, humbly begging for forgiveness in front of a righteous God, undeserving, right? Isn't that how we came to Jesus? We didn't come to Jesus, or at least I didn't come to him, demanding that he'd save me. I came to him asking him to save my soul. I came to Him as a wretched sinner I didn't come to him saying Lord I deserve heaven I said Lord I deserve hell but you said I don't have to go there because you paid for my sins that's the difference right there we need to come to him as a poor beggar because in the eyes of God that's really what we are so what happened to the rich young ruler verse 22 after Jesus said to sell all give to the poor And he was sad at the saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. That man came to Jesus and wanted to know what is lacking in my life to get to eternal life. What's missing? But then he left unwilling to change anything. Jesus told him what the problem was and he went away sorrowfully. He wasn't willing to make any changes in his life. He was grieved. He was sad. He was depressed. And you can think about it if you would have watched this happen yourself. Remember, he came running to Jesus, kneeled down to Jesus. And now that he's heard the truth, now that he's heard what's missing, he's walking away, I believe, sorrowfully back to his home. Keeping his current life instead of having eternal life. Jesus looked around in verse 23, saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? They were astonished. Jesus said, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Uh, So he is telling them, he's repeating it twice. And here's the big part. It is hard for anyone that trusts in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. He's saying, you're not gonna do it. If you trust in riches, you won't enter. And here's the thing, in this room, we get amens. Amen, yeah. You trust in riches, you'll get in trouble. That's easy for me to say. I don't have them, right? (laughs) I don't have riches. I don't have uh, all these great things. And really in our county, I looked it up last night, in our county, it's pretty easy to say in our county. Because uh, in our county compared to Delaware County, Uh, We have twice as many people in poverty than Delaware County has. So our county, we can say, yeah, yeah, you're right. Quit trusting in those riches, right? And I've heard people say the eye of the needle part in verse 25 is some kind of gate in Jerusalem that's low hanging and the camel has to kneel through it. And I've heard all kinds of different things. I can't really figure out the truth to any of that. I, I... I, I haven't found where it is, what part of the wall, a picture of it, anything. So I, I just think it's kind of been made up, unfortunately, over years. Because I, But I think what he was doing is he's being literal. He's saying, hey, the smallest thing they would have had in that day is the eye of a needle. The biggest thing they would have had is a camel. So he's taking the biggest thing and the smallest thing and saying, hey, you want to know how hard it is? Get that camel through that needle. Yeah. That's what he's telling them. You're thinking, Mike. Has it really seemed that impossible? Yes, yes. Imagine going up to some of these world's richest people and telling them, "You need to come to Jesus as a beggar. You need to come to Him as if you have nothing, and they have it all. They don't need Him. They don't need anything." So here it is: riches. So we focus on telling him to sell everything that he had because that's what the rich young ruler put his trust in. But what about us today? What are we putting our trust in? What are people in, what are lost people are around us putting their trust in? What is it today? What's hindering people or what may be hindering you from coming to Jesus? What's hindering eternal life? What's that missing thing? For a lot of people, it's pride. Is one of a Pride. Refusing to humble yourself before the Lord. Right? Refusing to accept uh, that you're wrong before the Lord. Right? Because that's, that's part of what the gospel says is, hey, uh, you, you're wrong and he's right. Right? You're a sinner and he's righteous. And that, that, that thing that you need to humble yourself to come to him, people don't want to do it. You have to accept that you've been wrong about what it takes to heaven. You've been wrong about Jesus, been wrong about your sinfulness. But aren't you glad that Psalm thirty-four, eighteen? I use this at funerals a lot. Uh, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. Right? When you will drop the pride and you'll humble yourself as a broken person that you are to God, that's where he'll save you. That's where he'll come in close. That's where he'll forgive you of your sins. So the pride is hindering some. But for others, it's sin that hinders people. Right? Some people are so connected to their sin that their sin really defines who they are in this life. Amen? Right? You, uh, to separate that, you're almost taking away their personality and their lifestyle and everything else. And when they hear that the true gospel, the true Jesus, the true salvation demands repentance... They're not interested. Wait, you mean I have to turn from the life that I have? Yes. And it's not us doing the turning. It's up here first saying, you know what? I'm tired of this life. I want a new life in Jesus Christ. And then he makes the turn. Amen. He gives us a new heart. But some people are saying, I'm not giving it up. Right? I'm not giving up this life. They refuse to do it. And then you want to ask them, is it worth it? To enjoy the rest of this short life in that sin and reject Jesus Christ and lose out on eternity with him. It's not worth it. So some people pride is hindering. Other people sin is hindering. Some people it's just neglect. Right? It's neglect. It's cold out now. Right? If you haven't figured it out. But what happens You know, there are things that you do around the house, things you do to your car, things you do to equipment, you know, stuff like that to get it ready. Amen? Amen. What happens if you neglect to get those things ready and then it's cold outside, you go to your car, that battery that was kind of iffy in the summertime, right, those tires that were low when it was warm. They don't get any higher when it gets colder. Amen. You turn it on and all the warning lights are showing up, right? That's neglect, right? And what we would say is now, and you know, sometimes a, a dad may do this, right? I told you, right? I told you you should have done that, should have planned ahead. Now look what's happening, right? Or maybe sometimes people do with this, do this with gas, and I don't, I don't understand it, but they'll run it down so far the car quits going. Like neglect. I mean that, you know, we look at that and say, can you believe that? How does this happen? Hebrews two three says, talks about someone neglecting salvation. So careless about eternity that they never deal with it in time. It's not that they're against it. They know it's a good thing. Maybe later. And then all of a sudden it's too late, right? Just like the battery that died, just like the gas that's out, just like the, you know, if you, people that need, I've seen people post, hey, I need firewood. And I'm thinking now, (laughs) now's the time you need firewood, you know, for your stove. Uh, They neglected it, a death, uh, you know, it's too late. Death has come Uh, or for some people, maybe they don't just die and that's it. For some people, their mind is gone. When your mind is gone, I, I, how am I supposed to go and talk to you about salvation when you think you're in a whole other place, right? When you don't even know what's going on. Or maybe you're laying in a hospital bed, so pumped full of drugs. Hey, Amen. We've been there. Yeah. I, re- I remember dad's brother vividly. We were there, and every three, four hours, they would lower the medication. And we li- and we had about 15 minutes and the first couple minutes they're checking his brain function and everything like that. We just had a few minutes to tell him about something about Jesus. And then they turned the medicine back up. And we'd have to wait another four hours. Right? Finally he gave his life to the Lord we believe. But that was hard. And sometimes they don't turn down the medications. And that doesn't work. People neglect it. They wait till it's too long. You're sitting there and I'll go to your hospital room and I'll hold your hand and I'll talk to you and sing to you. But I don't know if they hear me or not. Some of them, they never squeeze their hand. Nothing happens. It's too late. Don't neglect it. Jesus said, if you neglect salvation, you'll die. And just like the rich man in Luke 16, the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. If you neglect it, eventually it'll be too late and you'll be caught unprepared and in hell. Verse 21, Jesus beholding him, loved him, saying, One thing that thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, and take up the cross, and follow me. He said, sell all that you have. For this man, he's saying, get rid of everything you are trusting in right now. Get rid of all of it because it's all hindering you right? Remember I said if it's, so it's easy. If it's riches, Jesus already answered it, sell it. If it's pride, humble yourself before Jesus. Admit you have nothing to bring to him, no righteousness, no goodness, and he will accept you at that state. If sin is is what's holding you back from eternity, repent, give up that old life. And here's the thing, you can't do it yourself. You can't fix your own life, but he can fix it for you. i tell you what, Friday night I was in the, uh, they're in the room uh, with North Church, uh, they were given testimonies, and I heard testimony after testimony, uh, they've got a group of guys that were so deep in drugs and, and addicted to, uh, to that and the alcohol and everything else, and, and getting into crime, and all of those things, and I heard one after the other talk about how Jesus saved their soul, not only do that, he took away the addiction, they don't want that stuff anymore, and now they're Working on rebuilding their lives. Uh, they've got families and different things all in church. And I just sat there and I said, What a God. He can we don't have to fix it ourselves. You just come to Jesus broken and He'll fix it for you. Amen. Amen. Be willing to walk away from that old life. And if it's neglect that's holding you back, don't wait any longer. Come to Jesus right now. They were astonished. Verse 26, who then can be saved? They're saying, man, this seems impossible. How does this even happen? If that standard is this high, Jesus, how, who can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus answered, with men it is impossible, but with God. For with God all things are possible. Jesus let him know, you want eternal life, you want salvation. You want to do it yourself? That's impossible. You'll never get to eternity through riches. You'll never get it up by cleaning. You'll never get to heaven by cleaning up your life. You won't be able to break the addictive power and destructive power of sin by your own. That's impossible. But where uh, the impossible lies, that's where my God comes in. He is the God of the impossible. Those things are nothing for him. Nothing. And I thought about it. That rich young ruler walking away sorrowfully from Jesus after hearing what it would take. We don't hear about his life anymore. The Bible doesn't talk about it, him never mentions him again. So we don't know what happened. But I'll tell you one thing if he never changed, he died, he's in hell right now. He's waiting the day that he will stand before Jesus Christ in judgment the same Jesus he talked to thousands of years prior and Jesus is gonna find him guilty, say hey, you trusted in that money and I even told you not to do that and then he'll cast him in the lake of fire forever. That same thing has happened to everybody and will happen to everyone that rejects Jesus Christ. They're in hell right now, waiting to stand before him in judgment And then be, their fate is sealed. But what would have happened, I thought, as we close, if that rich young ruler changed his mind later, thought about it later, and said, you know what? I'm ready to give it all up. What if he really did sell all and come to Jesus? You know what? This is late in Jesus' ministry, but he would have seen Jesus heal blind Bartimaeus. He would have followed Jesus through Jericho and would have seen Zacchaeus up in the tree and and would have followed Jesus to Zacchaeus' house and been a witness of another rich man finding Jesus Christ and being saved and his whole home changing forever. He would have walked behind Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem, made his triumphal entry and and watched them wave the palm branches and cry out Hosanna. Uh, He would have seen that. He would have heard Jesus curse the fig tree and the next day see it wither and be astonished. He would have seen uh, and on and on he would have seen these things and heard these things. He also would have seen Jesus be betrayed. Uh, He could have been there at the trials uh, before the Jews and before Pilate and Herod, Uh, but ultimately he would have seen Jesus be beaten and Jesus be hung on the cross. He would have seen that him dying on the cross. He would have seen him be buried in the borrowed tomb, but then also three days later he would have heard the news and he himself could have went to the empty tomb and seen it. Now he would have been confused but uh, the Bible says that he appeared to over 500 and so a lot of them are still alive at the point that it was mentioned. He could have been one of the 500 that saw the resurrected Jesus and saw that he was alive. He could have been one of the ones that watched him ascend back up into heaven and then in Acts chapter 2 he could have been in that upper room there at Pentecost. He he could have received the Holy Spirit. He could have been with the early church, and God could have used him throughout the rest of his life. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know if the man did that or not, but the question is for all of us. The question is for those watching and listening. Uh, are, what are you going to do when you come to Jesus? Are you going to come to him with your own self-righteousness? He will turn you away. He will not accept that. He didn't accept it that day. If you're trusting in anything, he wants you to to drop it all and trust in him today and if you're already saved today don't go back to the riches don't go back to the pride don't go back to the neglect don't go back to self-righteousness you keep looking towards Jesus and praising him that not only did he save you but he's kept you I'm standing here today been saved 31 years and I can tell you without a doubt I have failed him but he has kept me he's never kept he has never failed me he has never forsaken in me, he has never failed on a single promise in his word. He is worth it today. Don't neglect it, don't put it off another day. You just come to Jesus, and once you come to Jesus, what did he say? It wasn't just sell all, right? It wasn't just do that and come. He said, Come, take up the cross, and follow me. Yeah, and that's all of our job. You've been saved today, amazing. You've got eternal life. But Jesus said, I want you to pick up the cross. Amen? Amen. Now think at this time, he wasn't at the cross yet. Right. And he's saying, pick up your cross. Take up the cross and follow me. You know why? Because he was going to lead them all that would follow to the cross. And they would watch it. And they'd be confused. But eventually they'd figure it out that he died for their sins and rose again. That's the Jesus that we follow today. He is worthy for us to trust in him and not ourselves. Because I don't know about you. You trust in yourself long enough, yourself will let you down. Amen? Amen. I've let me down. I'm ashamed of some of the things that I've done and not done that I've needed to do. But we can look to him. He's never been ashamed of him. It's a great life. It's an amazing life. But unfortunately, I think a lot of people are neglecting things. We talked about it in Sunday school. Romans 12, one of the verses says, Not slothful in business. Amen? Amen. Not slothful. The Bible's not telling us to be lazy. Don't be lazy at work. Right? Don't be lazy at home. Don't be lazy in serving the Lord because that's later in that same verse. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Hot. And I said the problem with that verse is I, I told them in Sunday school, they, the big phrase is work-life balance. I've heard it for the last 10 years. And a lot of times companies use that to get you to work more and then get you to feel guilty because you're not spending time with your family like it's your fault, not their fault anyway. But it's really more than that for a Christian. It's work, life, serving balance serving the Lord we have an extra plate than this world has to keep spinning and it seems impossible but not if we trust Him not if we seek Him first not if we just do what He's called us to do you can serve God I'll stand here today as an example you can serve God you can work for your employer and do good work and move up and you can be in your home and do what God's called you to do and your responsibility's there. Amen. You can do all three. It is not easy. And I wobble. And when I start to move in the wrong direction, things fall apart. The plates drop. I've got to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, help me again. Help me put you first. And He helps us again. This is a wonderful life. It's an amazing life. But it's a life of serving jesus but to come to him you got to come to him broken right you had to come to him broken to get saved i think some of us need to drop the pride and come to him broken again and say hey where i'm at right now is not where you want me to be right one of the preachers preached on pride at the at the uh men's retreat and it's i'm telling you what it's the gateway sin it leads to other sins but it's a big problem for the church, I believe. We get stuck with pride. Amen. And the Bible never puts it in good light. we got to humble ourselves and realize the guy in the mirror has, the girl in the mirror has mistakes. we got problems. But he saved me. Amen. Knowing how many mistakes I have, knowing how many problems I'm going to cause, but I still want to draw closer to him. Don't you? I'm going to ask everyone to stand.